That's all I need. Listen, you have do you have a chat sum? I do. I do have a chat. Linda. I come actually, on, everyone, come here. Look at my co-host Linda. He's no, so... let me tell you two things that I did. I thought about what my chatsum would be before the show. Mm-hmm. And I Hold on. when I put the DVD in my uh in my TV to watch the first episode, yeah. I closed the case and I was like, hey, while I'm standing up and I'm holding the case, why don't I bring my DVD box set into the room where I record? So that I'll be ready to read the episode summary at the end of the episode. What are you, a professional? What are you, professional? What are you, professional? Shut the fuck up. No, stop. <laughs> and I thought to myself, and I felt kind of embarrassed for being so proud of how much I was thinking ahead. <laughs> Level zero competence. <laughs> so fucking childish. And I was like, wow, the thing I do every time, I finally remembered to be ready for it. And then we're going to start the episode and I'm be like, welcome to Schla. <laughs> you've, you've, you've burnt all of our like good good prep energy. Yeah, now I'm gonna, so, like, something's going to go wrong. Yeah. My The doc is going to erase itself. <laughs> yeah. Who are you? Matthew Gideon, captain, attached to the Earth Alliance starship Excalibur. What do you want? To find a cure to the Drock Plague before it wipes out all life on Earth. Where are you going? Anywhere I have to. Who do you serve and who do you trust? Hello and welcome to Chats, a television podcast. Season 6.5, Chat Salon 5 presents Crusade Chat. My name is Alan, and when this person calls, I pick up. Because in my entire life, I've loved three things. My work, that pathetic cat, and my co-host Magellan. Meow. 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 Hello, I'm Mr. Magellan. I'm Mr. Meeseeks. Wait, wrong. No, that's that's Rick and Morty. No, I'm Mr. Mistopheles. There you go. <laughs> that's the reference. That's, that's the one I like. Welcome to Chats, everyone. It's the, it's the cult classic TV show discussion podcast hosted by two cartoon pieces of pizza that you didn't know you needed. That was so good. Thank that you. I, I didn't breathe. That was you've ever done that. You got to write that down. <laughs> Somebody, I hope that was recorded. Shit. <laughs> <laughs> Um, <laughs> welcome, welcome, everybody. Welcome, Magellan, as always, uh, here on the show. When you said that, I pictured that that was the the police squadron that monitors us <laughs> saying that. Like, they've got their machines. One guy with, like, the headset up to one ear, mm-hmm. and he's gesturing at other people to write things down. Write that down, write that you, down. When you said that, he was like, oh, come on. Somebody needed to get that. Did anyone get that? <laughs> He hacked the system when he said the good line. Now all we get is his trash. Damn. He talks about bad shows. Damn it. Damn. Damn. Oh, we haven't got a good damn on Crusade yet. Damn. Damn. <laughs> you know what I say to that? Damn. Damn. Can I get a sexy damn real quick? Damn. Oh. Is <laughs> that good? I'm kind of sick, so I don't is know. Is it back? Can... <laughs> is that good? Go to your improv teacher right now. Tell them a joke and then go, that good? See what they tell you. 
Damn. Okay. Any good? Burger? Yeah, when I when I'm in the down below and I I go to my favorite burger place and get a cartoonishly large burger. Damn. That good. <laughs> <laughs> that is good. If you don't know what we're talking about, this week on Chatsalon 5, we watched two episodes of Crusade. We watched The Rules of the Game and Warzone. First, we're going to discuss The Rules of the Game, which is JMS Order Episode 11. It's broadcast Episode 7, and it's on Disc 2 if you're uh, watching from the DVD box set. This episode was written by J. Michael Straczynski. It was directed by Jesus Trevino. It aired July 21st, 1999, and it takes place sometime in late July of 22, a sickisty seven. But John, what happened in the rules of the game? Well, let me tell you. In this episode, Lorca 7 may hold medical secrets useful to Earth if Gideon can gain access he comes to Babylon 5 to negotiate... <laughs> I got the Magellan soundboard working, everyone. Congratulations to, to me. To negotiate landing rights and, and runs headlong into the self-righteous Lorcan's claim that Earthlings will taint their world. Alan, what did you think of the rules of the game? Oh, I missed B5, man. I missed my big dumb station that's five miles long and full of uh, hot metal or whatever the theme song said. <laughs> no, yes. no, that's none of that's true. Uh, someone said five point two. No, no, the the uh, Excalibur is a the mile Excalibur. and a quarter long. Yes, but B five is five miles long because it's B five. Yeah, uh, that's how you can remember it. You know, it was really thrilling seeing Babylon five again. I think this is the best Lockley content we've gotten in a while. As a result, probably we the got best, the only good. Lo- well, not the only good, but the the best Lockley content of the whole show. I would. I would uh, hasten to guess. Right, yeah. It, it Honestly, I would say maybe it's because of the setting, but it felt like a good early series, epi- like a uh, filler episode of Babylon 5. It's like, oh, everyone's like got their own plot, and it's all relevant, and it connects together in a fun way, and every character gets a good moment. Like, this is good TV, y'all. Yeah. What about you, kid? Well, you. I mean, everyone knows that Max is my favorite character. Certainly. Uh, in the entire Babylon 5 universe. Oh, hold on. <laughs> Andreas Katsoulis no. rolling over. <laughs> no, hey. Come on. Andreas, Don't come back. That. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> He's not... <laughs> uh, I thought you were rolling over in his grave, but you just meant he was he was lying next to us and now he's rolling away. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> in frustration. What, you think I'm going to be bleak on the show about death and sadness? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no way. Um, Max is my favorite Crusade character. Maybe... Partly because I just am, am uh, I like to be controversial. Um, it's true. And we got a we got the Max episode that I didn't think it was possible. I didn't think it even existed, and it exists. And here it is, and I liked it a lot. And it is sure it is a tired trope of this universe that people have ex wives and ex husbands. But I guess I guess ain't that the thing of living. <laughs> <laughs> that this I can't thing, that this thing we call life, huh? That, we just that, spin that, around on this big blue sphere, and we just have ex-wives and ex-husbands, and that's kind of it. Yeah, ain't that the thing? No, dude. Ain't that the, ain't that the rules of the game? <laughs> uh-uh. <laughs> so, so I really enjoyed the Max plot, um, and I also really enjoyed Lockley and, and Gideon uh, this time around. I think we were saying... 
Was it last week that they had a thing? They've had a thing every week, man. No, they didn't. Remember for a long time we didn't think Lockley existed? The last two weeks they've had things. Yeah, the last two weeks they've had things. But the last week was when we watched the episode where it was like the religious, con- not the religious convention. It was the, the plague convention. Yes, that was last week. Correct. Yeah, and we felt like their relationship in that episode was kind of forced and wrote and like, eh, I don't know about this. But here it felt it felt kind of cute and honest to the characters as opposed to just sort of like you know we wrote standard love plot and then changed the names to Gideon and Lockley uh really shows how much network meddling was like they need more sex on this show <laughs> when they finally uh kiss and it's the most like smoky 90 sax i've ever heard and I they're know. really oh like getting into it and you're like Gary Cole is not a good kisser i think uh it's a whole thing uh, he just isn't he's not like he's like fine looking he's a i guess he's handsome yeah he i mean he does like grumpo really well but he has like he has like a moldable face oh my god like a clay yeah like he looks like he's kind of made of clay okay that's fair i kind of agree uh i actually since we last recorded i listened to a lot more of becoming superman jms's autobiography we've talked about it a thousand times but the reason I bring it up now is I've gotten through the top parts where he talks about Babylon 5 and Crusade. Uh-huh. Crusade really gets like maybe a minute in that whole thing, but uh, basically amounting to uh, getting conflicting uh, network notes because mm-hmm. as he found out a couple years after the show was canceled and after it aired and all that, a former TNT employee told him like, yeah, they were trying to cancel your show because they wanted to use that time to broadcast more popular stuff, but they wanted mm-hmm. they took you on so they could have the rights to uh, uh, what's it called? A syndicate yeah. Babylon Five. Babylon Five, yeah. That was that was the reason you got your show, which is like the saddest. Um, and it shows because like it, this is a show that's a good writer being told to do dumb shit a lot of times. Yeah, like the the Mac stuff being really cool, but then it's like, yeah, but he has to have an action scene, and he has to have a cool uh, gun that shoots out like collar spheres or whatever. I would totally wear one of those cool collars though if it was like kind of because like a little kinky, you know. <laughs> I guess it is. In yeah, a way, yeah. sure. But that that does that feels like classically dumb B five dumb and yeah. not like studio dumb. Studio Dumb is is just more the the abundance of like kissing. Studio and... Dumb is is that just gelatinous sax playing while we see Gideon in the the backlit <laughs> antechamber the to the shower, get, taking his shirt off. Yuck! Yuck! TNT, don't do that. Yeah, like we we never saw sex that that heavily implied prior to it in B five. We saw. One uh-huh. time, Ooh. Sheridan and Delenn were like, we just had sex. Oh, and one yeah, time, man. we saw sex. That's and that's one. it. I think. Pregnant. Unless I'm... And then maybe in one time, Londo did sex. Pregnant. But there was, but there was never like a... Come into my bedroom. Taking off my shirt. Yeah, so all the network stuff does, does leave a little bit of an imprint, even on an otherwise really fun episode. Uh... I also was hearing that they really didn't want them to reference Babylon 5 that much. So it's kind of funny oh. that they actually just got to put B5 in the show. 
Why didn't they want them to reference Babylon 5? Um, presumably because they were like, we want people to just watch the show as its own show. Like, don't, you know, don't make it so much of a, of a connection thing. Like, let it, let it be standalone so that people just watch it and don't like expect something else. Okay. Maybe because they didn't have the rights to be five at the time. Well, it's easier for people to jump on if they don't need to know anything. Yeah. But I'm out here in the corner hooting and hollering because like we get to see a Brakiri and I'm like, whoa, those dudes are back. Yeah. I miss them. I'm in the corner watching you kiss her. <laughs> whoa, whoa, whoa. Right over here. Why can't you see me? Uh I that's that's on the karaoke list, by the way. Oh, that is that is for sure a jam. I, I was just reminded of a song recently that would be great for karaoke. What was it? What was, was it? it man? I will consume your heart by bare naked by na- bare naked. <laughs> what are you saying? That's What's the song about? I will eat your heart. Oh, I'm sorry, everyone. Break That's... your heart. That one? No, no, no. It's by Death Cab for Cutie. Oh, oh. I will follow you into the dark. That's the one. I will eat your heart. <laughs> I thought it was. No, no, no. It's you there's monster. a song of whatever. Oh, no one cares. Oh, oh, okay, yeah. Okay. I think I sort of know what you're saying. No outsiders may land on Lorca Seven. That that's illegal. The reason for it is that these really corny looking like 60s glam rock rockers who are like 80 years old now uh, feel like if people come, if humans or any other race come onto their planet, they're going to contaminate the race. Mm-hmm. Which is nonsense. Which is hilarious nonsense. Uh, but I just think those guys are really fun. I miss weird aliens like that. Uh, I... Counterpoint. As soon as I saw them, I was like, fuck, come on. Why do we have to look at a stupid alien? A stupid made-up alien that doesn't matter ever. I didn't like them. They they were my least favorite part of the thing. Because they took away from the time I was spending with Max and with the, like, delightful Lockley-Gideon flirting. But I think the flirting is just, like, aimless unless you... Give them something to oh, do. Oh, there's, there's an aim. It's a pretty clear aim. Oh, is it them getting into the shower together and smooching? Yes, it's sex. Sex is the aim. They of... can't do that. That's not allowed. They did it. It's welcome to crusade, my fellow. My fellow. You're my, my... fellow on this journey. Um, I, I, get, I don't know. I think also their design I wasn't that into. Uh, the like rocks on their face and mm-hmm. they're blue. Earth's man, no, that's cool. I don't know what it was. I, I just, I don't know what it was. I no, just, they're goofy. I, I do them, agree that they're goofy. When I saw them, I was just like, "This is not what I'm in the mood for right now." Yeah, they're. It's very like, oh, the alien makeup is here. Oh boy, because <clears throat> when you see Brakiri, you're just like, the Brakiri look good. They still look good. No, they don't. They've always looked bad. But no, they've <laughs> always looked good. Come on, be, be, be James was always cool. Be level-headed here. Yeah, James has always been cool. Yeah. Um, but it, uh, at least the Burkiri, like, I recognize them, and I'm like, okay, they're from Babylon 5. I sort of understand this guy's deal. I don't need to make space in my brain for a new thing that I have to know the name of and their whole thing. Also, it, I guess this is more a trend than it is, like, something to be upset or not upset about, but... Another plot where we introduce an alien race that's all about like secluding itself, because uh, the ones from visitors from down the street were also like we're secluded and we don't want anyone coming to our world for their own their own reasons. 
it's kind of interesting when you watch Warzone that you learn like the the uh, orders given to Gideon are like, yeah, there's a lot of aliens out there who have the information we want. Go get it from them. Yeah, because then it's it's this very imperialist thing where like all of the aliens we meet are like, you're not allowed to come here because we don't want you to taint our culture, which is like totally va- it's valid, you right. know? Right. These guys mm-hmm. being uh, crooks and liars is all is like a interesting wrinkle, mm-hmm. but in general, most of the people that they go to visit are like, we don't want to help people. We don't exist to help humans, and it's this very like human centric perspective that the show also counters by being like, yeah, but none of them want this. Yeah. Right. Except, I guess, the one that's like, if you guys find the cure, make sure you give it to us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was uh, I was waiting for the moment where the Brakiri guy, where Gideon was like, hey, if we don't get this in five years, we're dead. I was waiting for the moment where the Brakiri guy was like, okay, <laughs> that's one less huge uh, race that we have to worry about, honestly. I mean, he kind of says that in the cold open where he's like, if you guys die, that's fine because it's not going to get in our way. He like ostensibly says that. Yeah. But yeah, they, I I want more of that than I want like these lower kids who again turn out to just be, oh, these guys are lying to us because they were stealing technology from other people or whatever. Yeah, um, it just doesn't go somewhere that is like thematically meaningful, mm-hmm. which I think is maybe what I wasn't so crazy about with that particular plot. But 90% of this plot is Gideon and Lockley flirting again. Inviting each other to dinner again. Um, reminding us of the continuity, because there's a scene early where uh, Lockley's like, I owe you dinner after everything that happened last time. And it's like, where's continuity now? Is I think she must real? be talking about uh, the convention that we saw. Oh, oh, the, the yes. I think the, so. Yeah, because this is, this is not their other first time meeting. Like how the other two times that we saw Lockley kind of felt both like they were both separately first times a little bit. Yeah. Well, the other one is um, is finding her floating around in space. Right. Right. Which right. I guess she could be talking about, but I think she's talking about the convention. Right. Again, in my in my head canon, uh, Lockley wasn't in that episode where they found her floating in space. Might as well. Yeah. It just wasn't. Sure. Was she was an image or something. Uh, yeah, they're flirting. Yeah, the sorry, the, the Lorkins uh are watching them from like a weird camera from nearby, and they're like, "We're gonna kill uh, Gideon." They find out later that it's actually uh Lockley that they should be killing, so they go after her. One of them gets like what I assumed was a Soul Hunter crystal that he puts in his hand. I, I don't think know. It was just like I can shoot laser beams with this thing. Yeah, which only is cool because it has to pay off later where he's warming it up. I love that this gun has, this weapon has a warm-up and Gideon's like, ozone, and jumps out of the way in time. The pacing of those lines was kind of uh, was kind of funny because he's like, oh, weapons, they need to be charged up. You have to charge them up. That's why it smells like it smells like ozone. And then uh, <laughs> later in the scene, he was like, wait a minute ozone as if he's like realizing the thing that he had just explained before right right Uh, right i thought that was funny yeah uh yeah they have sort of strange technology which he says at one point is something that they found instead of something that they created there's interesting uh like racism (laughs) that that uh lockley and gideon have towards the lorkins where 
they she makes some general statement about them being stubborn and then mm-hmm. She's like, oh, yeah, they didn't seem, like, smart enough to make all this technology. Uh, and he's like, oh, yeah, I agree, totally. It's because they found it. Um, but, yeah, that's the that's really the whole thing. I don't know what else there really is with the Lorcans, except they also have this sort of, like, religious purity thing. And it's hard to tell if they believe it or if it's just a front to, like, For those two bad guys, bad ones. Well, and the guy at the end where he says, oh, oh yeah. now we will let you because what's moral superiority without a little temptation? Good line. Good line. Uh, I thought it was cheesy, but it, it's fine. Crusade's a cheesy show. It is a cheesy show. That's true. Uh, but yeah, it was hard to tell like how, and I think that's the point, how genuine this belief is held. Uh, I'm sure as with many religious societies, the leaders of it see that it's bs and it's a tool for manipulation yes um and the people maybe genuinely believe it uh yeah i i i think related to what you're saying there's the part later where um lockley and gideon while flirting and, and getting his nasty nasty vest are like uh oh you he's like you know i'm more open-minded or she says she says she's so more open-minded about other races because she's in, she works on a ship that ha- invites all races from all uh, planets, so she runs into a lot more different types of people. And he's like, "No, you work in politics. Like you, you like work in board meetings with like rich politicians. I meet people on the planets they live on. I'm more woke. I'm the better Twitter leftist." Uh-huh. <laughs> um, this leads to the best interaction between the two of them, though, where uh, he. Asks her, he challenges her to go out on Babylon 5 out of uniform, saying that nobody will recognize her because, quote, if the mayor of my yeah. town walked right up to me, I wouldn't recognize him, which is true. Even if he bit me on the ankle, he says. Right, which would be, I mean, that's a cool, I mean, that's just New Jersey, baby. That's what it's like. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> That's just Brooklyn, baby. Who is the mayor? Is there a mayor of Brooklyn? Uh, there has yeah, to be, right? That's I how think that so. works? Yes. Um, I don't know what powers that role has but yeah i think there is it looks like somebody named katie gallagher is the mayor of brooklyn yeah katie thanks katie um yeah so but yeah he makes a good point about like you don't recognize politicians unless uh they do something or like make put their face out there and she doesn't so um nobody's gonna recognize you she takes him up on that challenge um they go to a place that kind of looks like the down below i guess i think it, it was uh, right? I think so. She's I mean, in plain they, clothes. We we really they haven't. Really, Go ahead. They don't really explicitly say like here's the down below because I think what you're saying that they're not investing in like rebuilding the the world of Babylon Five, right? And they don't they don't want to use all this terminology people don't know. But I think that's what we're looking at. So this is a really specific reference to me and people who who have lived and hung around around hung out around the Fenway area of Boston. Um, uh-huh. The place where she gets the burger from reminds me very vividly of the food truck that's outside of the House of Blues on Lansdowne Street. Hmm. Uh, because when you're leaving the House of Blues, which is a music venue that's right next to Fenway Park, uh, there's always a guy who's like handing out meat skewers. And he's like, get your meat skewers. You're all drunk idiots at 10 o'clock on a Friday. Get your meat skewers. And I always want one, even though I know it's the worst decision of my life. And I just imagine Lockley is the person who said yes a couple times, and she's like, oh, he knows me now. He gives me a good burger. <laughs> yeah. That, um, that was really fun. I, I 
I think that was what really cinched this plot for me as good. Um, Cause I, I liked some of their flirtatious dialogue as just fun flirtatious dialogue. Like when she says, you want to get some dinner later unless you're busy. And he says, well, radium's already been discovered. So that's mm-hmm. out. Uh, like that's a, that's a, that's a line that you can put anywhere and any smart Alec character can say it, but there's something really special and characterful about, uh, about a couple things. Gideon saying like, you're so detached and I'm, uh, I'm not. And then mm-hmm. when she reveals that he knows her and Gideon's like, you cheated. I like that. <laughs> uh, that also fits with things that we know about Gideon. Exactly. Yeah. It makes us understand why these characters would be attracted to each other and why they would want to, like, you know, spend time smooching. Right, exactly. Yeah, which we get to as uh, he smells ozone, um, they fight uh, some bad guys, and then they win? Yeah, I wasn't, I sort of stopped paying attention, and it wasn't clear to me how they won or what happened. Then they they kiss in, in her quarters or his quarters, then there's smoky sacks as they go to shower together. And we see like just a few too many seconds of them showering. I really didn't need this. Yeah. Did we do we watch them showering or just undressing? We watch them kissing in the shower. Oh, we do? Yeah. I looked away because I was like, come on. <laughs> You're like, I'm not allowed. My mom's gonna get it. Come in the room. <laughs> <laughs> no. It was um, just like Okay, we see Gideon walk in and take his shirt off, and then I was like, okay, now the scene's gonna cut. And then she walks in and takes her shirt off, and I was like, okay, now the scene's gonna cut, right? And then it still doesn't. And I don't want to. I don't want to make us sound at all like we are, uh, you know, chased or we don't like sex scenes because we spent so much of B five being like nobody here fucks, nobody here has like any sort of sexual chemistry or tension that's mm-hmm. intentional. Um, I just don't think that's the kind of like relationship that all these people have to each other but this one makes sense like it makes sense that these people are are like sexually interested in each other you know yeah it's just like but now this serves no purpose visually yeah it, like, it's just titillating the viewer a little bit but it's not even titillating though because I think it's intending be- to uh but okay maybe but it's definitely not right no even i agree fun, I, yeah. 100% it wasn't at all and i so it's not serving that purpose of like the tone of the scene is like, woo, this is so sexy. And it's not telling us anything new about the two of them. And it's not like a plot thing. And the camera's not doing anything interesting. So it's like, come on. This is literally just to check the box of, hey, check it out. Crusades, sexy show. It, it, but, but yeah, the end. What 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 ends up getting to me is like I think these folks write uh, romance and the reason like the people falling in love with each other and working hard to support other people really well. Yeah. But then like I just don't know how you're supposed to portray this kind of like adult sexual interest in a way that doesn't feel goofy or exaggerated. Well, I, well, I think their flirtation and courtship in the episode is great. I think it's really well written and then like and i also think the bit of like talking about the shower has to reboot or whatever is like fine sci-fi the fact that he's so excited about a a actual running water is is 
I can relate. Fun. Sort of. I can relate. And it also relates to him being like so excited about wind. Uh, yep. So that's all good. And then he's like, and we don't even have to wait for it to reboot because we can just shower together. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Uh-huh. Also good. And then now we're, we're out. We're done. We got it. Maybe it's not bad. Maybe I'm wrong. It's good. Oh, okay. They also get one more one more bang bang in because, well, they have, they're have they like, oh, you want to get dinner one more time before you leave? And it's like, I know what you guys mean by dinner. You mean getting well, McDonald's a, and crying. She says something to eat. Yeah. <laughs> she totally does. No. Yeah. Oh, I'm watching that back. Oh, she does say that. That sucks. Can I? I, I have something I take issue with uh, from this from their romance, though. Tell me. Which I, well, I texted uh, you about it, which is that when they first go to get dinner, they go get dinner at the Eclipse Cafe when there's a fancy date restaurant upstairs. Right, Come the one on, where guys. where uh, what's his face? Sinclair told Garibaldi. Yeah, the the restaurant where you always go to, where there's someone from out of town that you have a love connection with. It's it's, it's the one where it's the only place. Well, again, Babylon Five. We don't. We can't just do that. We're not allowed to do Babylon Five again. Maybe they don't have that set anymore, or something. Or no, it's it's filmed on the same set. Uh, the whole like all of Crusade is filmed on the same set, set as Babylon Five was. Yeah, but like the the they might not have that room set up easily anymore or something. True, very likely. Um, I I I kind of liked the idea too that they're like, oh, we don't go to the fancy restaurant because I mean she's the captain though. She can take him to the fancy, take him to the nice restaurant. I guess maybe that says something about them that they are like, yeah, we we just want to go to the cafe. Maybe um, and we don't want, we don't want maybe, to go to the restaurant where the guy slips Garibaldi booze, right? And it's also, I guess, maybe not that serious of a date. So, yeah, you don't take someone there on your first date. Yeah, first or second, whatever we're at. Um, I want to I want to wrap by talking about the Max Eilerson plot because there really isn't a lot else to the Gideon Lockley stuff other than them flirting is fun. Um, yeah, you say rap as if we only are going to talk for two minutes about Max and not for two hours. Oh, whoops. Um, <laughs> so. We are introduced to Max and Darina walking around, or Chambers and Max, which is a rare pairing, um, walking around, and uh, a redhead woman kisses Max on the cheek, and you're like, whoa, Max has a friend? And uh, mm-hmm. Chambers is like, wow, I'm surprised he like knows you so well. And she's like, yeah, yeah I would hope he does. I'm his ex-wife, Cynthia Allen. <laughs> yeah, Hello. then Babylon 5 fans across the world took a drink. <laughs> And, Every uh, time cross that square off on their bingo board. Yeah. <laughs> Character yeah. references previously unknown ex-wife. You freaking bet, dude. Um yeah. Cynthia and Max have a long chat. Um I thought it was so funny and interesting that they opened by talking about their cat, uh Mr. Kitty, because I was like, does the cat have anything to do with anything? Or are we just talking? And it turns out the cat is like essential to the plot. I love this cat. I didn't um, catch where they when they first mentioned the cat. I the first mention that I caught of it was when the cat gets kidnapped. No, they talk about um they had a cat together who's on medication for quote a liver thing. And that's when she's like, by the way, she just they're like having this friendly romantic conversation and then she goes, Max, I need money. And mm-hmm. she turns around, and he's like, How much? And she's like, A hundred thousand credits. What? I love the explanation for her her going broke, which is that she ran an art business. Max is a corrupt not corrupt but a like greedy capitalist archaeologist slash linguist 
who's dating uh, an art major <laughs> who's like selling paintings. Uh-huh. I think it's a beautiful relationship uh, image. Um, she went broke because the quarantine meant that she couldn't sell art off world anymore. So she had to take out a sketchy loan. I really thought this was going to go another like unnecessarily horny and talk about her becoming like a sex uh, worker. Mm. But instead, it's just she takes out a, a, a high end, a 100 percent interest loan with a guy who looks like a sexual predator named Rolf Mueller. Um, well, yeah, yeah. I turns thought... out to be one. <laughs> It, it yeah, it, it's heavily heavily implied that he's like trying to do something yes. with her, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I thought that there was going to be the angle of like Max, I need you to help me. I took this loan, and also that she w- had been like with this guy. Oh, like he's your new, he's my new guy, or like I whatever for a little bit, and then I found out he was a sleazy thing. And we're not a thing anymore, but now he's... I thought there that was going to be a revelation. And I sort of get that energy when Max, at the end, uh, is threatened, or is sort of like putting him in the, the impossible situation where he has to leave her alone. And it's like, leave my wife alone. And then the guy's like, hey, newsflash, she's not your wife. She's anymore. not your wife, right. Um, I thought that something was going to come out with, where she was like, yeah, we, we smooched. But it didn't, which I think is better that it... That it didn't. Ultimately, yes. I predicted that that um, might happen. We uh, Max is like, I'll take care of it. I'm not going to pay the hundred. Or he says, like, I'll take care of it. Um, he goes to a lounge where there's a fun lounge singer, and he approaches Rolf, who he just hands well, he, fifty thousand. Well, credits he. To. I think this is actually a really important character beat. Uh, she says, like, Hey, I I need the money. Yep. And he hears her out, and he's so. Uh, what's David Allen Brooks? Yes. No. Yes. Yes. Aren't all three of his names first names? I thought it was David Allen Brooks. Now you're making me doubt myself. Maybe it is. It is. It's David Allen Brooks. Okay. Seventy three. Good for you. Seventy three. Yep. Wow. How old was he when this show was on? So he's born in forty seven. So he's wow. About fifty two years old. Yeah. Whoa. He looks fantastic for fifty two. Yeah, he looks young as hell. Mm -hmm. And handsome. <laughs> Damn. He does look handsome. Holy crap. Oh my god, I got this image on distracted by talking about how hot Max is. Get back. Come back to the light, my friend. Come That's back. crazy though. He's in his fifties? Yes, dude. That's everyone's old his, on everyone's that's old. That's why on his crazy. hair looked weird in the second episode because they dyed it. Exactly. Okay. Also that second episode is weird. Yeah. So anyway. Um Tell me about your tell me about your boyfriend. So he does a fantastic job of of playing Max's emotions in in really all the scenes with his with his ex-wife because he has this like bitterness that is clearly uh put on. He's clearly like purposefully Max the character is purposefully trying to come across as mean in a way that is disingenuous to how he actually feels. Yes. So he's like sneering, but you can tell that the sneer is like conscious. Mm-hmm. Um, and he makes the choice in this interaction with her to be like, I'm going to pay back 50000 I'm not going to pay back the 100000 because that is, it's the principle of the thing, yeah. he says. 
And she's like, are you like, yeah, let me get that carved into my tombstone. It's the principle of the thing. <laughs> so I so I think that character beat is really important because it gives Max space to grow over the course of the episode. And he he doesn't in the sense that he like it turns out he was right all along. But the way that he ends up growing is you understand over the course of the episode that like he doesn't hate her. He isn't bitter towards her in the way that he's trying to seem. Yeah. He actually still just totally loves her and feels dumb that he loves her so much after what she's done to him. Um, so I really, really like that. And, uh, you know, I think that the, that first scene between them is an important, or the second scene between them is an important beat to understand because he's sort of like no i'm not paying it grr i'm look at how angry i am at you for leaving me grr um yeah and maybe and then, this is yeah go ahead. Well, maybe this is um david allen brooks but i think that the part of the nuance in his performance is that he doesn't do the usual b5 thing of like i'm gonna go up to the guy and punch him in the face like he's actually very measured and calm and cool about this stuff uh mm -hmm. i mean he does like bring out a weapon and the, the plot is solved by him arming his wife basically <laughs> um, mm -hmm. by being like, Hey Rolf, me and my wife, my, or not my wife, but my ex-wife both have guns. And if you ever fuck with her again, then one of us will chain you to a wall for the rest of your life. Um, also go groom our cat. He, he knows how to talk. He knows how to use his words. But what I think breaks him down fully is after he speaks to Rolf and is like, I'm only giving you the 50,000. That's the end of it. You're never getting the rest of it. Um, we get a scene at some point about uh, or where Chambers and Cynthia are talking about Max. And I think this yes. part kind of unlocks Max for me. Mm -hmm. It's it's as clear of an uh, explanation of his character as you're, I think you're ever going to really get. But ostensibly, um, Cynthia is telling Chambers that like Max was always the smart kid in school. He got top grades. He was really smart. He developed an ego as a result. And he was always looking for somebody to challenge his intellect. Um, but uh, he was a whiz kid with no friends. And nobody liked him because nobody likes the whiz kid except for me. And mm -hmm. the company he works for. Mm -hmm. Or the two people. They, they, we are the two groups that like recognized his genius. Or recognized, rather, his intellect. Which mm -hmm. I really don't want to use this show or any platform to like try and say that like the show is saying the thing about the author because death of the author, this is Max is a character. He's not supposed to be a stand in, but like JM, JMS also overworked himself and like, it was like obsessed with his job and his wife was the only person that understood him for a while. Like that's, that is totally textual. He's living this life. Yeah. You know, and you kind right. of see it in like the way that he's like, I lost you, but I still like you. But like, I'm not going to stop working because work is the only thing that gives me fulfillment. Like Max is a person who is, is entirely fixated on what his job does for him. And that's like the only thing that gives him satisfaction anymore. Mm -hmm. But then he sees this woman who's from his life and he's like, Oh my God, I had another priority. I had a cat. I had a, I had a, a wife. Like uh -huh. yeah. there were kids and like that. You, you realize that there's so much more to him that he, he wants to care about that. He's just been so wrapped up in like work and like the, the loop of things that he, he like lost sight of this. Yeah. And well, I, I think that's I, what works. What, 
this validates for me in the read this builds really well from the episode where we see max choose not to to squeal about Dorina's um fellow yeah, people right people is that his sort of bluster about I'm committed to the company and corporations will live forever and I love money and all that stuff is he's he's those things he's greedy and he's a, a dirty capitalist because that's what the corporation wants him to be but I think deep down like what he cares about most is he just likes translating alien runes and like finding stuff and being smart and what's fundamental to him is not these beliefs that he has about how the market should work or who should have control or power. It's just that this is the institution that made him feel like he fit in. And so he gave everything to it. Um, and it, that felt really real the way that she said, that's when I lost him. Um, and yeah, I, even though this is all that we're going to get in terms of max development, I think it, it, it's what I needed to understand where JMS was going to take him over the course of the show. Because I think we're, what we would have seen is him over time become disaffected with like being the corporate man and working for IPX. And I'm sure he would have reached some sort of crisis point where like, maybe they would have found a cure and then IPX would have been like, well, this is our property and now we're going to like fix prices on it and sell it to every individual person on earth. Uh, and he would have had to do something about that. You know, I think that ends up being what I'm getting the most out of with crusade is like getting to watch the blueprints of where somebody would have gone Yeah, and thinking about like, Oh, this, this could have ended this way or like, we're we're watching the first arc of everybody's three arcs, obviously, or like five arcs, depending on how you think about it. Mm -hmm. And I think, yeah, Max's arc starts with like this guy is so committed, and then realizing, oh wait, everything I'm committed to is just a mask for like what I really wanted and loved and cared the most about mm -hmm. uh, before, which is the people that matter to me. It's beautiful stuff. Yeah, I really like it. And like you said, Brooks plays it like he's being very false in a way that that is uh, realistic as hell. Mm -hmm. um, the babysitter um, calls and it's like, yep, now now that you got mad at Rolfing and only gave him the 50000 he had his people kidnap our cat, which is very like mob movie. <laughs> it's like, it was like corny. And it was her weird. acting was so much. Yeah. It was very over the top. Um. Cynthia gets mad at Max. Max is like, too bad. I'm not doing that. Um, the Basically, the way this wraps up, I don't, this is what confused me. So the guy comes to like their place when Max is gone um, and then Chambers punches him in the damn face, which rules. Mm -hmm. um, we finally get to watch her like be kind of cool. And then I guess, so I guess what happens is she, he's knocked out and then Max like sits next to him when he wakes up and is like, He's like, you would never shoot me. And he's like, I would totally shoot you. I would do it if I, you know, if X, Y, Z. The guy's like, no, you wouldn't. No, you wouldn't. It turns out Max packed some heat. He has the ring gun. He fires it at a wall. And he's like, that'll be you. I gave my wife one of these. I don't have to kill you. All I have to do is have control over you because that's Max Allerson in a nutshell. Yep. And uh, 
you uh, you're done with us and you have to clean. You got to go wash the cat. And my wife doesn't owe you another cent. And I gave you the 50,000. He's not even taking that back. He's like, you are getting your damn money. Yeah. Um, which, yeah, pretty badass, I think. But again, just like a little bit more actiony than the rest of the plot is. Um, sure, sure. Yeah. Not in terms of like movement, but just like uh, intensity of plot. Yeah, it's a little unhinged too. Of <laughs> him being like, "This collar is around your neck forever, and right. you, your head will explode if you mm-hmm. come near my wife." It's at first, like I was kind of insane. I was, I was at first disappointed because the babysitter calls him and she's like, "And the cat is okay," and she doesn't hold the cat up. Like we cut away, and I was like, "I want to see the cat." <laughs> yeah, we couldn't hire a cat for this one. Uh, apparently they couldn't hire a live cat because uh, in amongst our like 15 yeah. endings, um, Gideon and Lockley get a kiss in and then Max gets a picture of his cat in the mail because Cynthia still loves yeah. him. She's yeah, like, and she says, here's Mr. Kitty. I knew you. I figured you would want this picture. Here you go. And then we get and another then, bad credits music. Yeah. And then we see in the credits that uh this episode was in memory of the real Mr. Kitty. I think I think the cat that Jameis talks about in his book is Mr. Kitty. Well, there you go. There's like a cat where he, he talks about like in a rough period of his life, uh, it's like caught in a gutter and it gets lost. And like every fire department is like, we don't have time to help you tonight. It's the day before the 4th of July. And then one at like mm-hmm. three in the morning, he gets the cat out and he, he like stays up really late waiting for it to come out. And that, I think it's that cat. Oh. Again, that's just me guessing. Sweet yeah, cat. that's probably true. Um, at first, I thought the name was dumb, but when I learned it was a real cat, I was like, "Oh, that's actually Mr. Kitty." Mr. Kitty, like when Max Eilerson is like, uh, I think it's the first time someone says the name when he's like, "And Mr. Kitty was my cat long before he was yours." <laughs> yep, <laughs> it sounds like a punchline. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it does. Uh, it sounds like an I like a pause for audience laughter or something. Yeah, right. Uh, do you have any stray notes about this episode? I know we've kind of been like all over the place, but no, I just was really, really um, happy to have a real Max plot. Loved, loved, loved that stuff. Yeah, yeah, I adored it. Um, really helped me cut the tragedy of the second episode being as dire as it was. But we'll talk about that after the break. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, let's do it. We have a we have one email though. Can I read this one email? Uh yeah, this is we're recording ahead, so this is uh I guess we should keep that in mind. Yeah, okay, well, uh if we get more emails before the episode comes out, like significantly more, we can we'll tack on another email part, but Okay, sounds good. This is our email segment. It's from Nick. Uh this is regarding episode seventy one, which is two episodes ago. Uh, for giving some weak moments, I would still consider Each Night I Dream of Home as a good episode. Not amazing, but certainly good. I think it's great. Wow. Fight me, kid. If Lockley and Franklin had met up, then we would have been forced to hear her tell him how she had this weird out-of-body experience when the Soul Hunter came on board, and she was a spiritual guide, and doesn't he feel the same way? <laughs> <laughs> I would love if anyone talked about the movies on the show. They won't. They will not. But Yeah. Uh, he says, my fan theory, and I cannot be wrong unless JMS breaks his silence on Crusade, is that after the finale where Gideon is, uh, you know, spoilers for the show that didn't happen, um, where Gideon is shot and trapped in the apocalypse box, we would have seen Lockley come on board and take command and lead the mission to rescue him from the box, which I think was a okay. form of Soul Hunter tech, which had the ability to steal the soul before it left his body. 
Which is why it would be inside the box at the same time he was still alive. Uh, She gets help from a recast Soul Hunter because Martin Sheen isn't coming back to unlock it. That's a great, that's a very cool headcanon version of that. Okay, sure. Yeah, I'll I'll buy it. For how much, Majone? One dollar. Wow, he'll buy that for a dollar. He suggests that we drop the Avatar mailbag music the next time for nostalgia because the mailbag right now doesn't have any music. I don't want to get sued! (laughs) (laughs) I love listening to old uh, escape chats where it's like, I'm going to let the music write out and I like did not mix the music well enough and you can't hear it. (laughs) (laughs) It's just silence. (laughs) I I was a baby back then. Uh, One of his baby name suggestions for you because I think we were talking about something you would name your child uh is justin uh fluke or justin a fluke which no no veto. I'm not doing no that. veto that not happening uh regarding seven days Majon's favorite tv show he would rank it behind sliders uh even though even that he wouldn't recommend for pilot chats because uh as what season arcs they do try to develop never really go anywhere yeah even if there are fun individual episodes okay all right mm-hmm uh, and the X-Files episode that Dan mentioned with the alien reveal is great. I'm starting to think that there should be a must-watch list of X-Files that you could watch. I know the previous rules of chats are watching everyone, but it would sadly be a point against chats files. Yeah, agreed. Again, that's a show that if people gave us like a good chunky list of like these are the fun ones, yeah, I'd be willing to do it. I mean, yeah, and that could also be like a thing we do as an occasional uh, Patreon thing. Right, we just watch like, a little X Files here and there. Yeah, we're just gonna have a, a little, a little. Uh, I stammered <laughs> my way out of being able to get to that joke first. <laughs> Stupid. <laughs> <laughs> um, the leader of the group in Patterns of the Soul. That's our, uh, our sexy friend guy. What's his face? Uh, Robert Black. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's played by Brian Thompson, who's the actor I told you I most know from X Files. But don't Google his role on that show because it would be a big spoiler. Okay. I already did it. <laughs> <laughs> I pulled a Magellan, everyone. I did it. You nasty man. Yeah, but Magellan, but the, we're not going to watch all the X-Files. It's a dumb fake show. I oh, he sent a bonus mail. Okay, well, I'll tell you who he is off mic. I guess I'll ruin it for you. Yeah. <laughs> no. You're welcome. No, no. No, no, I won't do that. Don't worry. Thank you. Uh, bonus mail. Uh, reading up on the character of Abel Horn, who's our previous cyborg assassin character on B5. The oh, yeah. form. Oh, that's a lot of names that are. You just activated a lot of old memories. <laughs> yeah, Abel I'd rather Horn. I'd rather not have to remember who Abel Horn is. Um, he says it's possible that Bureau Thirteen is the same one that modified the soldiers we just met on Crusade. Um. Uh, okay. Sure. All right. But apparently, after that B five episode, Jameis found out that Bureau Thirteen name was used in a different property. Quote, it was decided to never use it again, with the interview universe explanation being that they were subsumed into larger organizations. Oh, because you were saying, like, just say it's the government or whatever. Or no, that was about that was a pilot chat. I'm totally thinking of a pilot chat. Yeah. We, talk. we yeah. record too many podcasts, America. What was that that I said that in? That, uh, that was X-Men. in X-Men. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> X-Men. Um, the actor that played Abel also played Mr. Jones on a Crusade episode. What? Uh, wait. Cool. I'm not surprised. I thought Robert Black was was Mr. Jones. This is now the second time. At least you got it this time instead of having a mental breakdown like you did last time where you're like, I fucked it up. (laughs) Yeah, well, because now I remember that it's Ballad of a Thin Man that the song was. There you go. 
Yeah. Uh, I'll never forget it. Anyways, those are the emails we got, folks. Um, thank you, Nick. And you can always send us emails, chatspot at gmail.com. Uh, if you want to have your email read right on the podcast, yeah. get a little email time, a little snack But before uh, the next segment, we're going to have a brief musical break, and then we will be right back to discuss War Zone. Poison, poison, poison. Welcome back to Chat Salon 5 Presents Crusade Chats. The second episode we watched this week was Warzone, which is JMS episode 12, broadcast episode 1 from Disc 1. It was written by Jay, directed by Janet Greek. It aired June 9th, 1999. <laughs> And it takes place in January 1st to the 5th of 2267. Uh, it was super nice of the Drock to do the plague right on the New Year's. On huh? the New Year's. <laughs> that makes it really convenient. You, wanna, you got to imagine a lot of people were like watching fireworks and then the, like, the plague was dropping and they're like, is that fireworks? <laughs> At least they timed it well. Well, thanks. If you <laughs> if you sync up your clock, uh, then right at midnight on January first, twenty twenty, you watch the drop kill your entire planet. That's yeah, really cool. Like dumb tweets. Uh, Alan, what happened in Warzone? Well, Majan, I'm glad you asked. In this episode, Captain Matthew Gideon assembles the crew that will be with him on the experimental starship Excalibur. Their mission is to explore the reaches of space to find a cure for the deadly Drock virus that will destroy all life on Earth in five years. Okay. So, okay. Yeah. So this was supposed to be the pilot. So from what I understand, yeah. can, you, can you tell the production story as you understand it about this to me again? JMS didn't want... To write this? This one was written at TNT's behest because they said they want an actual pilot instead of trusting the viewer to just kind of understand the dynamic of the crew. They were like, we want people coming together. So they asked him to write this episode. Uh, it was not first production. It was not like a direct script just from him. It was like, a, it was one of the, it's one of the most heavily modified episodes. Um, and so it was written and then aired first, despite like the actors already knowing each other and doing all this stuff. They then had to go back and like record a pilot, which sucks. I think this is the worst episode of Crusade so far. I'm confident Why? saying that. Why? Why do you say that? It's so much of it feels like not only are we just building to things we already know, and that's just because of the order we're watching in, but like a lot of it is like uh, getting us to the theme song. And it's like, guys, you already yeah. played us the theme song. And right. now you're like, there's a the big final moment is that Galen and Gideon sit next to each other and he's like, Who are you? And it's like, we watched Babylon 5. Also, that's in the theme song. We know that's like a thing you have to yeah. think about during the show. It's it, worthless. 
Well, so here's a question I have for you. Here's an answer I have for you. Go ahead. Do you think that this episode feels so terrible because we're watching it 12th? I mean, of course. Like, do you think... I don't think it's necessary to watch this episode. Absolutely not. I don't think it was horrible. No. I think if you were only watching Crusade and you'd never seen Babylon 5 or A Call to Arms, this might be useful, right? This is a... I just feel like you're you're doing yourself a disservice by getting such a spoon-fed pilot. Because then you get into the question of, like, what makes a good pilot? And that's... Hey, hey guys, patreon.com slash chatspod. Check out Pilot Chats where we answer this question every two weeks. We um, actually never answer that question. It's kind of the overarching question of the podcast, though, is is getting to that. But what makes a good pilot is I want to know what the actual conflict of the show is going to be. I don't want, like, a fake invented thing that's like, and then we go on the ship afterwards, which is mm-hmm. kind of what this... Well, no, this one's actually related to the rest of the show. Um, I'm, I don't like seeing... It's not interesting to me to watch the band get together. Yes. That's not interesting to me. And th- that's we, and that's the thing I'm saying that we've talked about on Pilot Chats is like when the first episode or the first, you know, in the case of X-Men Evolution, the first season and a half is like we're getting the band together and then the plot that we wanted to write starts. It's like, what's the benefit of that? What's the benefit of like a small... I guess you can theoretically get to know the characters better as you slowly introduce to them, but... But you can also space that out throughout, like, the adventures are happening, and then you flash back to something, or then you take a week where things go slow, or, like, you cut between people on the mission and people off the mission. Like, there are other ways to do it, right? And it it It, makes this episode feel really disjointed, because it has so many characters that need to be introduced and, like, set up and have their whole little, their moment. Uh, The pacing is so weird. I was texting you because I was a little behind getting to our recording, Mm-hmm. And I was watching this on DVD, and my uh, I just had no way of seeing how much time is left in the episode on my DVD player. Um, and so I was like, I don't know how much longer there is, but I'll let you know. And I had no way of guessing because the pacing of the episode was like impossible to feel out because it sort of felt like there was no narrative arc there was just like introducing 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 now there's like this little thing where we're on the planet and then that's over and then the episode's still happening and then it just ends when you meet galen for real like when it ended i was like oh oh okay oh. i'm i'm gonna come record now because i guess it's done <laughs> the credits rolled it's so strange um i want to i i really want to drill down for a second on if we had to identify what makes a pilot good or mm-hmm. what do you need in a pilot for crusade specifically what do you think those things are i want i want like an a and a b and maybe a c plot that like showcases all of the characters interacting with each other cuz this is an ensemble show like what i'm saying specifically applies to a dramatic ensemble television program Mm-hmm. is like right. set up set up a conflict or two have them interact with each other and within them have the characters interact with each other so we learn who everyone is we learn what their deal is and we learn what we're all working towards yeah this and is like Bab- almost I, that and i think you really babylon look at it on paper and babylon 5 i think did exactly that yes like the gathering notwithstanding the first episode of babylon 5 babylon 5 has like we're in the shit you know, this one, 
uh, Centauri outpost just got attacked. And now Jakar and Londo are yelling at each other. And now Sinclair is going to go talk to Garibaldi. And, like, it, it does that. And here's Veer and Ragesh 3 and big, like, you know, all this stuff. And a victory for the president. Like, all that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's it, why it, almost, it feels almost the way that this episode is written. <laughs> I can't know this for sure. But I can almost feel JMS's, like, fuck it here you go <laughs> attitude towards yeah the script where it's like like moments where gideon is talking to to galen and galen's not speaking and they're at the campfire and gideon's like wait a minute you're a techno mage which by the way he said tech he said techno normally and he said mage instead of mage <laughs> he <laughs> has to they, pronounce part of it wrong it's the they rules. gave him the note you should flip it and say techno mage instead of techno mage <laughs> Uh, <laughs> but that moment where he's like, you're a techno mage and, and, uh, I was stranded and you saved me and now I'm alive. And why are you here? <laughs> he's like that. That's such a bad sort of pilot exposition. Pilot exposition thing. Yeah. I and agree. There are tons of moments like that in this episode. Weirdly, the one that annoys me the most is when, Gideon breaks up the fight that Matheson is in the middle of where everyone's like, mm. we're not going to be on the ship while the plague is coming. We want to go back to whatever. And then we get this like hero shot of, of Gideon where it's like, and here he is the captain. It, the captain of our show, like the, the lead guy. And it's just like, yeah. like I, I can't, you, I, it really like doesn't respect the viewers like attention span or whatever to just be like this guy is, they might as well put a thing under him that says like protagonist. This yeah. one, sassy woman. Here's Darina beating up a bunch of cops, which I do love to see. I'm making the prayer hands emoji with my hands right now. <laughs> I do truly appreciate watching people beat up cops. But that's all Darina gets is she's like, I want to be on your ship. I hate these cops. And he's like, all right, we should hear her out. And they're like, no, we're cops. And he's like, no, I'm the boss. Her introduction like, okay. didn't make so much sense to me because she they're treating her as like, oh, she's just some lady that we have locked up. Uh, she was in a call to arms. <laughs> she was in a call to arms. She was like working with Sheridan. Sheridan would vouch for her. Right. The president? You know, the president? Yeah, the president. Why? It's so... I guess maybe they couldn't get uh, Bruce Boxleitner or something. But wouldn't it have been better if he was the one who was like giving... Gideon the orders or putting the crew together or something instead of this like random dude and why is Darina locked up and having to fight her way to be on the crew when she was in a call to arms it doesn't make sense let's also remember that a call to arms this is another thing that Jameis talks about either in the book or in these notes I found on the lurkers guide but he was like a call to arms was supposed to lead directly into crusade that's the whole reason it exists and they yeah. aired it six months apart yeah, that's absurd. They set up the show and then made sure everybody forgot about the show. The show is so doomed. It's so sad how doomed it is. Yeah. Um, but it really is. It really goes to show when you're just like, yeah, we set up all the characters, we did all the work, and like actually f all of that. We're gonna make you make a new pilot that assumes that called arms barely happened and we don't know about that because there's a news report in Warzone that like explains the whole plot of a call to arms. Yeah, in like thirty seconds. Or and it's like, why did you make the movie then? Yeah. This is what frustrated me about this episode was just there's so little in here that you can square of like, oh, this is a good episode. Nothing about this in isolation is good. 
uh, to me. I mean, like, performances are good, and, uh, you know, some moments are good, but it's all just, like, set up for, like, also a show that isn't happening, as we've seen in the rest of the series. Like, mm-hmm. Galen hasn't felt like this brilliant wizard the whole time. He's, like, kind of been a little bit sillier than that. He plays in this episode so serious, and it feels like they rewrote his whole intent. Yeah, this is definitely the most aloof that he is in the whole show. Right. Um, I think Gideon is mostly on on point for like what he ends up being, and so is Matheson. Mm-hmm. I think it's good that they set up their friendship this early to where Gideon is straight up like, "You're my friend. I I vouched to get you on my team." Yeah, but we also already knew that that. It's sort of my sensation watching this was the same feeling we had when we watched in the beginning with Charlie, where uh, it's like, yeah, okay, I knew that that happened, and now I'm seeing it happen, and I'm waiting for this to be an enriching experience, and it isn't. And also, I guess a difference is like, in the beginning was actually a prequel, and so was trying to accomplish like here's new stuff because it's a prequel. And what's weird about the JMS order is Warzone is being positioned in the JMS order of Crusade as if it is a flashback or prequel, mm-hmm. but it is not written to be that. So right. it's written we're... to answer quite not questions of like because a prequel episode would have read more as like here's the stuff we already know about them. And here's like the dramatic irony of seeing them before they learned all these things that we learned over the course of a season. Right. Which is what in the beginning sometimes is, mm-hmm. is like, you're getting to watch people be like, Oh, this guy's going to get so owned in a year. But in this, it's like, this is written as a pilot. This is written as a pilot. 100%. There's no way this works as an episode 12. Yeah. Um, which is a bummer. Like, cause again, there's cool parts. Like I was actually surprised that they introduced trace in this episode and he was a character right away. Um, it kind of feels sacrilegious that? if you think of him as the Warren Keffer because it's like Keffer didn't have there's no like season one episode where Warren Keffer is just in the background like hey guys who is Trace <laughs> destroyed bodied ruined <laughs> utterly wrecked who he's the hot shot pilot guy that's like friends with everyone he's literally the Keffer of the set of the show oh. um, he his best line in this is uh, when they talk about how they might die from the plague and he goes I got plans for the weekend and being dead ain't oh, part of them that- that guy, Max's friend or whatever. Yes, yeah. Yeah. Uh, them recruiting, so Matheson is recruited just because he's friends with Gideon, and despite him being a telepath, he's like, it's fine, I know he's going to follow the rules because he's a good boy, and he's my, my he's my good boy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, Galen, Gideon already knew from the past, and he's sending him a bunch of messages, and he does the whole, like, and so it begins in episode 12. in your mind. That's the- <laughs> what do you want? <laughs> giants in the playground <laughs> what do you want giants in the playground <laughs> that's a good con response <laughs> now get the hell out of our galaxy and oh, then man, um, I miss Babylon 5 I miss it so much <laughs> uh, we get the, the best like setup stuff is on the SETI 4 IPX excavation site we meet um, one a young fresh faced lad named Max Eilerson digging mm. for a veritable gold mine uh, as a ship crash, <laughs> as a ship crashes nearby, and a gross alien hand claws its way out of the ship, and you're like, "That's super dumb." Yeah, what do we have to do the plot? No, dude, that's it. I mean, I just want to get to the part on Mars because there's live yeah. action footage of Earth. Yeah, just yeah, okay. 
So this, okay, they get, I said, there, I said it, guys. They, we, we talk about Mars. Gideon is given a, miss, a mission by a bunch of men, and they're like, check out all the riots happening on Earth. And we get like a minute straight of live action footage of riots across the United, the, the Earth. Uh, yeah, but from like the present day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought like I think I saw China in there, like people in masks and stuff, and I was like, "What the?" Like cold, um, Berlin Wall stuff, and I'm like, "What are you? What are you doing?" <laughs> yeah, like this is 200 years from now. It wouldn't look like that. Yeah, no, exactly. Um, and just the the, the 200 presence... years ago was 1820. Yeah. <laughs> if you saw live footage of 1820 on the news first of all you'd be like where'd you get a camera <laughs> yeah and then you'd be like this is this ain't what it looks like no more right uh <laughs> here's amazing uh rioting footage and it's like the civil war and you're like wait a minute <laughs> yeah, right it's like what the panic of 1819 oh Come my on. god you're, you're a history teacher i love you very much um yeah, Gideon receives his team, whatever. That's fine. The Excalibur. I like them introducing the Excalibur. This is a scene I actually kind of wish we had, where it's like this romanticizing, like, there's the ship. It's amazing. What a crew. Mm-hmm. Wow, it's 1.25 miles long. Uh, and then a bunch of Drock stuff happens. You did not like the Drock stuff, it sounded like. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Can I say two things that I liked before I totally go in on the Drock stuff? Yes. So... I think the two things from this episode, okay, well, three things. One of them is Max, is always Max. Yeah. The fact that he can translate languages super fast is cool. And the fact that they're like, he's an asshole, but he's our asshole, or whatever they said. Yeah, yeah. I like that. Um, I I enjoyed the, the reasoning that the general guy gave for why Gideon should be the captain, which is that he, among all of the captains who are on like exploration missions he's the one who's met the most aliens which is like a cool qualification for being the head of this mission right that and then they kind of you know it gets cheesy where they're like you're a dangerous man and we need a dangerous man um but like you don't need a dangerous man you just need a dude who will go anywhere and doesn't care about like what that entails Mm -hmm. and then the third thing that I thought was really cool was actually the conversation between Gideon and Galen at the end when they were when Galen was asking the questions. And it sort of answered what I for a while had been bothered by with the opening sequence, the opening title sequence, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. where it's sort of like he doesn't really care. I mean, Gideon kind of cares about finding a cure to the drug plague. Um, he also but not really. to have sex <laughs> yeah but so then when i mean he does right um but then when galen says who do you serve and who do you trust i really liked that gideon thought about it and his answer was i don't know and galen was like cool then i will come with you until you answer that question that's really cool yeah. <laughs> like that's what the question of the show is you're doing this thing but like who are you doing it for and who do you think has good intentions i don't know i don't know but i'm doing it because i think it's what i should do it sets up what could be a great arc for gideon because if you place this episode at the beginning you're watching gideon over time learn to question authority and question like the motives of the people asking to do these jobs because 
uh, every every mission is like, oh, actually, the the Earth Force people are doing this for bad reasons. I'm not, I'm gonna go against their wishes. So he's like learning who he who he works for and what he works for, all that stuff. Yeah, uh, that stuff works. Yeah. Anyway, so oh man, the Drock dude. Okay, so the Drock we've talked about it before are the one of the best villains because they are quiet, they are patient, and they are not shown that much this episode as well as a call to arms as well as presumably more of the show if it had gotten more presumes that the drock are like evil rock vampires or something i felt like i was watching the fucking spaceship from the power rangers where all the bad guys hang out and then they decide who gets beamed down to become giant in that episode but they're not even as close to as cool as rita repulsa is that's the no 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 exactly and no one can be we all strive to be but like yeah they all look like they did a really bad job cosplaying Godzilla and uh <laughs> like a human god like or a humanoid yeah. Godzilla. Yeah. And it's just they're it's they're so bad. The Drock are horrible. And they're calling each other like, oh, counselor, blah blah blah. Uh yes, counselor, blah blah blah. Yeah. I don't need to see Drock talking to each other. Never. I don't want them to have I, names. They get names in this episode. I don't want them to have names at all. I loved the implication when Londo was talking to the one Drock who like totally pulled the puppet strings that they're only ever gonna show you one guy at a time. Mm-hmm. Because they don't want you to know how many dudes there are, and they don't want you to know what their power structure is. They just want you to be like, there's a bajillion of these dudes, and they're all hiding somewhere, and it's impossible to know how big the organization is. Maybe it's just five Drock, but they are so good at like using their little mind-controlling slugs and appearing in different places at different times that they make you think that there's a race of scary dudes. But the fact that we see a ship full of them is so stupid. And that they are like going to pick off people and kill them is dumb. And then that the one guy gets captured and talks to them and looks like he's made of plastic is dumb. I hated the way the Drock were portrayed in this episode. Such a bummer. Because they were so cool in Babylon 5. And the show doesn't have a good villain because the Drock were just ruined. And this this ruins the back like third of this episode for me because so much of it is like the Drock are attacking, fire the missiles. And like I know that's what TNT wanted, but literally every time someone on B5 too, someone's like, it's time to fire the missiles. I check the fuck out, man. Yeah, right. I don't want to watch people like charge up lasers and like navigate a, a freaking space battle. Don't care. Not interested in it. Give me more talking, please. Yeah. There were studio <laughs> notes that were like, Crusade is too talky. I want it. I want yeah, the version I'd that's talky. I'd rather have that. Uh, yeah, I'd ra- I'd like, I would have liked a longer conversation between Gideon and the Drock guy in the yeah. cell that maybe could have become cool. Cool Drock. Um, like the part where he's talking about like, hey, once your whole planet is dead, like, what is that going to be like, huh? Right. <laughs> what are you going to fight for then? Yeah. Who Who are you going to serve? Mm-hmm. What is your life even going to mean? What are you going to be when Earth is gone and and dead? That's pretty scary. Exactly. <laughs> but we didn't linger in that or have a conversation about that and said the Drocker mm-hmm. just like, oh, we're evil. 
evil. Yeah, the Drock, the Drock, uh, extremely are not cool when you put a light on them. They just are the monster under the bed. It's cooler when you don't see it. Yeah. Uh, it boils down to that. And there's like a lot of, like I said, just so much fighting. And then uh, another cool little moment, though, uh, is Daru- is not Darina, sorry, Chambers. Uh, her conflict, by the way, we didn't talk about her, but she's invited on because she's an important doctor and she's the person who is most likely to find the plague first. Um, but she was asking that they get to go to Earth one more time because she has a sister on Earth that she's worried that she's never going to see again because of this mission. She has a phone call with her at the end. I believe her name is Jenny. And mm-hmm. that part's good. That part of her being like, yeah, I really appreciate you. And like, you're really great. But, uh, you know, the work has to come first right now because I need to save your life. Yeah. Uh, yeah. We don't, they don't talk a lot about that. We don't talk about a lot about a lot about, uh, people having families on earth or, or stuff like that, or like people who cared about them, at least not on the main cast. We've got plenty of that from, uh, side characters, you know, mm-hmm. Just not from the main cast. Yeah. Uh, and then, yeah, we just end with Galen being like, man, this show is going to be great as soon as it gets picked up for a third season. I can't wait. Yeah. <laughs> See you, everyone. Blue, blue. Uh, and, and yeah. And, and that's pretty much it, I think. The line in there that I like that you were you're talking about where Galen's talking to Gideon is he's like, you're a technomage. You use technology to simulate magic. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. A wiki explanation of what a technomage is. Get out of here. Yeah. So that I don't know. I I don't think that you need to watch this episode at all. I agree. But I think if I were to re re uh order the ordering of Crusade, <laughs> I would say like if you're gonna watch this, you might as well get it out of the way. Just knock it out first it, and then know the first. show the show gets like a little bit more confident after this. Yeah, because also it totally it totally kills the momentum of like there were actually a couple of crusade episodes in a row there that were pretty good. Are good, yeah, I agree. Yeah, so but then also it might just be miserable to watch this and then watch the one that we watched first that was like I don't even remember, but it was weird. That's the one with the alien that's like uh the planet died and we all froze ourselves. Is it that one? I believe that's that was in the first week. I don't know if that's the first one. I think that's the first well the first one is uh well, you know, the Vorlon. Oh, my God. Marge. No, Lorian. Well, Lorian is the first Lorian, one. Lorian, yeah, truly. But really, it's it's, it's Valen as well, if you think about it. Hey, well, sorry. I found a Babylon 5 fugue state. How? Uh, I, the Crusade chat's just slowly devolving into us missing Babylon 5 is a big mood. Um, but looking forward to things. Mm-hmm. Next week, Majan, we are finishing Crusade. Oh, my gosh. What? Already? Final. <laughs> The then, series finale, the big dramatic series finale, where they they cure the Drock plague and they answer the apocalypse box question, and all of the characters have sex. Everything gets resolved. Yes, perfect, clean resolution. Five year arc is concluded. Next time. Yep. Tell the kids to- about the episode. Totally, and so uh, that means, of course, that that episode was aired as episode eight. Of course, uh, it's called appearances and other deceits. It, uh, here's the summary. Ready? Yes. A pair of Earth reps come to Excalibur to give it a PR makeover for folks back home, but there may not be much of a ship left when an alien life force, a malevolent entity spread by human touch, also boards. 
Oh no! Does that sound like a like a plot connected episode that's relevant uh, to everything it else? Like, it sounds like a ship fires episode. Yeah, it is. <laughs> it's there's a there's an adorable part in early escape chats. Sorry, I keep talking about our old podcast. There's a part in early escape chats where we get the first virus episode in I think a bug's life, and I'm like, yeah, they're probably gonna do a bunch more of these, and they did like eight of them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Thankfully, Babylon Five only did like two or three like types of episodes like that, and they weren't even yeah. that bad if I remember. So yeah, um, yeah. So we're watching appearances and other deceits next week. That'll be a single episode discussion. Um, just because we will use that to also wrap in our like final thoughts about, uh, about Crusade, Crusade and, and all the stuff, yeah, where the show could have gone. Um, and then we'll go on to Greener Pastures from there. We still have some films to watch. We have a film and an un- uh, unaired pilot for a show that never happened. Because mm-hmm. um, we're going to be watching Lost Tales and yeah. Legend of the Rangers. So, yeah. Um, Magellan, do you want to take it to the plug zone? Let's do it. You can. Can I do it? Yes, you or can. Do, do I do it too much? No. Okay, I'll do it. Do what do you want? I forget who did it last. I think I did it last. You can do it. Okay. Also, while we were talking, I was Googling the 2017 Power Rangers film because I was thinking about how cute Rita Repulsa is, how gold she is. Does mm-hmm. anyone know if that movie was good? Probably not, right? Like, no. How could it be good? The 2017 Power Rangers movie? Dude, come on. Yeah, how could it be good? Uh, Well, well I guess we're going to have to commentary chats it. Uh, that actually wouldn't be a bad idea. If you would like to get at us, please consider sending us email to chatspot at gmail.com. That is C-H-A-T-Z-P-O-D at gmail.com. You can also tweet at us at chatspod, where we have a fun Twitter account full of jokes and gags and goofs and guffaws. Uh, and we also post the episodes if you want to know when those go up. Uh, we usually go for Sunday mornings, but just in case uh also considering us on itunes please 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 write us one uh we'll check the itunes one we usually like to check that towards the end of shows though just to like skim it and be like did anyone review us on there rate us five stars that's how people hear about the show uh and if you've already done all that stuff then please also consider checking up checking up checking out please consider getting a checkup at the doctor Check up and check out. That's what I'm going to put in front of my doctor's office door. Uh, <laughs> Patreon.com slash chatspod. Over there, that's the hub for our premium content. Nice. Uh, if you donate to the chats uh, bucket of, of money, the money bucket uh, over there every month, uh, you, you can do just $5 a month and you get all of our bonus content. That includes commentary chats where we talk over movies, chats nights where we talk over each other, and pilot chats where we talk over pilots. Um, it's a great time and I recommend you check it out. Yeah. And speaking of recommendations, I'm just full of segues today. Uh, Magellan, what is your chatsome for this week? What do you recommend for the kids? Uh, my chatsome for this week is an app. I don't Ooh, know apps. if I have done that or how often I've done that, but it's not my most frequent medium. Um, but I have, I just recently reorganized all the apps on my phone and I discovered something that I had downloaded that I hadn't been using that I intended to start using in the new year. Um, and it's a habit tracking app called productive. Uh, I, I have a bullet journal, which I think I talked about in an early chat some, um, a a while, a while ago. And that was episode six chats on five episode 16 bullet journaling videos on YouTube. Yeah, there you go. Um, and I use it to like 
have a visual record of habits that I that I do on a given day. But what I found is that recording it in my bullet journal wasn't necessarily a good way of making sure that I did it because I would take that record like at the end of the day. And so at the end of the day, you're like, oh, damn, I forgot to do all these things. Or like, well, I can't make time to do them now. It's it's time to go to bed. Um, but what Productive does, and I paid for the like whatever premium year of using it thing. Mm-hmm. There's a free version. So I, I at this point, I don't know what features I have that don't exist in the thing. Um, but you can set habits and tell it like this habit happens every day or it happens certain days uh like hey send me a notification at this time and then the thing that i like about it is and then it also it tracks data for like hey take a look at all the days that you did it it tells you when you have like a perfect day uh it tells you streaks that you have it's an app that's really good about telling you what you, when you're doing things that are good and not making you feel like stressed or guilty when you're not doing it. Um, That's what but, I mean. Like an issue that I have with Duolingo, for example, is they just send so many notifications when you're not doing Duolingo that it's like, guys, come on, now you're making me feel bad. And <laughs> but, probably, that's probably what they're trying to do. Yes, it, it is definitely what they're trying to do. But yeah. what, what Productive does is you can... Um, you can group your apps by morning, afternoon, and evening, and then you will have um, uh, what what is that called on the phone when there's like the number on the app icon that shows you like unread texts or whatever. You the, know, like the I moment. just call it notification. The iOS thing calls it badges. Yeah, the badge. It'll have the badge number, um, but the badge number will only apply to that habits that you have left to do in that part of the day Mm. so like if you have three morning habits and you do two of them by the time you get to the afternoon the one that you didn't do it isn't carrying over as a badge notification anymore the app is sort of like okay morning's done you didn't do it we're not going to try to remind you to do it and we're not going to like have it stack or add up it's just you didn't do it today um so i I like that. And but then you can still like do it later in the day and, and, and do it. So it's just an app that's a really easy way to both remind me to do stuff and encourage me to do stuff in the part of the day where I actually would do it. And also it keeps a record of what you do and don't do. And it's called Productive? Yeah. Which I that name I'm like Bleh. But <laughs> But Is it free? It yeah, it has some of the features are paid. I don't know which features are paid because I paid the pay, but it's free. Now that's Praxis. Yeah. Uh, very cool. I like it. It's always good. Everyone has their own productivity method, you know, whatever works for you. Yeah. And I, I'm only using it for habits. Like I'm not, I think you can also use it for tasks and stuff, mm-hmm. but I have my own, I use my bullet journal for tasks and that's reliable enough. Um, but the, I'm only using this for habits, and I'm liking it so far. Mm-hmm. Fabulous. Yeah. What? What? Uh, what's your chat sum? Uh, my chat sum is a little bit of literature and the kids reading. Uh, books are better than most other mediums, to be honest with you. That's the secret. Uh, yeah. And I'm trying to read more books this year. Uh, I feel like that's the second most common uh, New Year's resolution after losing weight is to read more. 
uh, because yeah, nobody reads it. enough. Um, and so I'm easing my way. What's that? I said I believe it. I believe that. <laughs> like Naruto says, I believe it. Uh, I'm trying to ease myself into reading more books, and I started doing that by reading a manga that people had been recommending to me for a while, um, called Uzumaki. Uh, mm-hmm. It's from Junji Ito. It's from the late '90s, I believe. Um, and I just finished it. It's a really great. It's like a three volume little manga. Uh, it's a horror manga, um, basically about this this girl living in a small town uh, that is plagued by a curse. You say no, she's just a small town girl. She's li- she's definitely living in a lonely world. Okay. Uh, she doesn't take any midnight trains anywhere though, so you know, hmm. anywhere at all. Uh, instead, she's trapped in this town where horrible, horrible curse things are happening, and. You know, I had never gotten into Junji Ito's stuff. People have probably seen like his comics if you're like, if you've been like been on Reddit or like on other parts of the internet before, because sometimes mm. his like single, not like story based comics will get posted online. The most famous one being the the fault, the Amagara fault story, the one where people are going into the holes into the into the mountain. Look right. that one up if you haven't read it already. It's really fucked and also represents what I like about Ito's work a lot, which is that he will portray something that's so like primarily scary and ter- like just terrifying and like makes you feel gross and then make you laugh at the absurdity of it a ch- like a, a moment later um i think like his work is so well formatted to manga also because the most common like scare tactic in 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 uzumaki is a bunch of people are dreading something a bunch of people are like i hope this doesn't happen i hope it doesn't happen Oh, last panel on the bottom left of the page, someone goes, oh my God, look at that. And then you, the reader, have to do the thing where you flip the page and you're like, ooh, there's a full page spread of somebody who's inside out. <laughs> I, <laughs> I got there. And, you know, obviously content warnings for like a lot of very serious gore. This is a black and white comic, but like you can definitely tell there's a lot of gore in there. Um, but like, I usually don't like gory horror. Um I think this one because it it's so it's like longer uh something about the length of it and like just the repeated tragedies that keep occurring around this town you're it becomes absurd after a while like it loops around from the first chapter where I'm like oh I'm so depressed like man we're all struck by our own court curses in our own way by like chapter four or five you're just like this is a farce but like <laughs> this town never stops sucking everything here is the worst why doesn't everyone leave it's just like it ends up being legitimately very funny. I think that's where he succeeds is like, oh, yeah, I guess everything is kind of effed. We can laugh about that and like come around on it. Yeah. Um, yeah. Once I picked this one up, I could not put it down. It's like it's such an engaging read, too. And all your questions are answered by the end. It's not one of those like ambiguous stories. It's great. That's nice. Uzumaki by Jinji Ito. You can find that on like any you can buy a version of a three in one of it or you can find it digitally. It's very easy to get. Cool. Very cool. Um, thank you, Majanus, always for being the rock to my hard place. And thank you, dear listener, for listening to this episode of Chats on Five. Peace. And the rock cried out, no hard place. Have I done that one? No, that's good. That's original. <laughs>